0: Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long term retirement goals.
1: This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. You can join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley. Every Monday at 6 p.m. on 98.9 The Answer. The recording is at aptiswealth.com, And to schedule an appointment to go through the Aptis Blueprint process, Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh recently saw a piece in Kiplinger titled Three Essentials for a Successful Retirement. And I wanted to get your thoughts. The first thing they mentioned is having a clear vision. Do you often find people don't don't have the clear vision?
2: All the time uh, the first question when people come into my office is that i ask them is what are you going to do so you want to retire i get it um you know sail off into the sunset not have to work anymore think about that level of freedom sounds pretty romantic to me i mean i get to do whatever i want um, but a lot of times people retire because they just don't like what they're doing and they haven't put any thought into what the future looks like and, and obviously this is a a very blanketed, broad brushstroke statement. So there's plenty of people right now that are shaking their heads and going, no, I know exactly what I would do. Well, good for you. That's that's step number one, is have a clear vision for what your retirement looks like. But if you don't, before you retire, I highly encourage you to spend some time thinking about it. You know, is golfing every day really gonna provide you the fulfillment that you need for the remainder of your life? What does that look like? What does retirement look like for you? What is that clear vision? Because once you figure that out, then that kind of points in the direction of how much money you're going to need to do it. So until you know what your vision is, the answer of can you retire becomes pretty difficult. We can come up with how you've been living up to this point and then try and replicate that amount of income. But if you decided you want to retire and travel the globe uh, you know, first class for the next six years, I don't know that your current income will justify that. You know that better than I do. But you know, maybe, maybe not. So step one is definitely having a clear vision.
1: And, and with your partner, too, because maybe you both are on different pages, so it's really important for both of you to be on the same page.
2: Absolutely, which is why we always want to have, if at all possible, both people in the relationship in our office. Whoever and, those people are. I have I, some mother daughters. I mean, yeah. you know, it's all over the board, but whoever that is.
1: And how often do you find that your clients have never had that discussion and only are now discussing it in front of you? They've never even <laughs> thought about how each other is going to spend money. Well,
2: if you can imagine, even if I've only had that conversation once, it can be an awkward conversation. So I, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I've had it a lot, though, is, is the answer. And because I've had that conversation a lot, sometimes uh, I have the ability to, to kind of mediate that topic pretty well. Um, Because I'm the non-threatening third party, right? And oftentimes what I'll find is one person has uh, one feeling about money, the other person has one feeling about fun, and they haven't necessarily connected the money and the fun together. Uh, And it's my job to connect the, okay, I I understand what you want to do for fun, but let's figure out a way to fund it. When um, people's opinions of fun are obviously very different. You know, I like to go shopping every day and spend $1,000 a day, and the other person likes to work in their wood shop in the basement, doesn't spend any money. You know, we got to kind of get them on the same page funding wise. Mm-hmm. Um, so it happens all the time. But then once we have that clear vision that we've coordinated between all the parties, then we can come up with that in- income distribution plan. That actually is the guide or the path to how much money we need and where we can draw it from and determining whether or not you can actually retire. And then once we know how much money we need, then we come up with a tax plan to make sure that we can get that amount of money as efficiently as possible. It's not what you, what you make, it's what you keep, right, the old adage. So how do we get the income that you want while paying Uncle Sam the least amount possible? And I had a client tell me once that they said it's my patriotic duty to make sure that the government is as imprudent as possible with my tax dollars by sending them the least amount that I have to. To make sure that i keep them within their spending guidelines of where they should be so we're not trying to avoid taxes through tax evasion by any means but we're trying to take income from sources that are as tax efficient as possible so that bite out of your income is as small as possible
1: and then tax strategies
2: tax strategies yep i mean that's how we that's how we do that right so if you look at tax strategies i think we were talking um a couple of shows ago actually about you know, how do we take money from Roth IRAs combined with maybe rental properties, combined with your 401k, combined with your non-qualified savings dollars, combined with all these different income sources that you have, how do we create the most efficient plan where each one of those maybe is spitting out a little bit of money? And if we look at the total, we're actually saving thousands of dollars a year and not only just pure income taxes, but maybe through the reduction of the amount you have to spend with Medicare, the amount of your Social Security that's taxed. We can really move the needle oftentimes in the long-term viability of your plan and the amount of money that you leave to your heirs by simply reducing your tax bill every year. So it's an important part of the puzzle. So know what you want to do, clear vision, come up with the income distribution plan that's going to generate enough money to do what you want to do, and then how do we generate that through a tax plan to get you that money for the least amount of tax bite possible.
1: I know you take care of the the finances, being a financial advisor, and I'm sure that you have to address kind of the emotional aspect of what people go through. I I guess COVID with married couples, they actually got a good taste of what it's like living, you know, being together all the time, (laughs) like they will be in retirement. But I mean, people really have to consider that. How are they going to spend their time? And they're spending a lot of time together.
2: Yeah, I would say that we spend probably as a society, we spend 90% of our time on the last two items. Oh, actually, probably 90% of our time on the second one, income distributions plan. You know, look at the amount of money that I have. Uh, does the money last? That's about where retirement planning starts and stops. When in reality, it's probably 50% of the time should be spent on number one, which is what's my clear vision of retirement? And then, you know, I would say 40% on two, and then 10% should be spent on that tax-efficient planning as well. Um, or maybe, you know, a third, or third, or third. But whatever the number is, not enough effort is spent on what am I going to do rather than how am I going to fund continuing on for the remainder of my life?
1: You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, give Josh a call. His number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Let's talk about cryptocurrency and why are financial advisors hesitant to uh, Supported as an investment option.
2: Wow, that's a good one. Uh, so, cryptocurrency, obviously, super hot right now. There's about a million different cryptocurrencies. All started, uh, you know, Bitcoin, blockchain technology, Ethereum, and then uh, come up with any name of any crypto after that. There's millions of them. First, I would say in general, most financial planners or investment advisors are not necessarily anti-crypto, contrary to popular belief. For example, I'm not anti-crypto. Matter of fact, anything that is uh, a currency that cannot be manipulated by the government, I'm all for. The downside to cryptos, though, is the volatility is immense.
1: It can be manipulated by Elon Musk.
2: It can be manipulated by a lot of people, mining, trading, all sorts of stuff. However, the volatility is crazy. If you look at Bitcoin, which I I think most people would regard as probably the biggest name in in cryptocurrency. I, I don't know that to be true, but I would assume most people know the name Bitcoin And then a lot of the others, a lot of general people wouldn't know. But if you look at Bitcoin alone over the last six months, there's been many times where it's fluctuated by 20 30% in a matter of a day or two. It's been my experience that most investors cannot handle that with a significant amount of money. So I think it's important to address that Bitcoin in general for the average person is not going to be a large holding. So, for example, while a lot of people might have a 401k with $500,000 you know, five hundred thousand dollars in it and of that five hundred thousand they have, you know, three hundred thousand of that in the S P five hundred, let's say. I would find that very few people would be comfortable putting three hundred thousand dollars in Bitcoin if they had five hundred thousand dollars. So a lot of what we hear, you know, I've made a bazillion dollars in Bitcoin. It's small denominations. You know, they have five hundred bucks in Bitcoin and they talk about it like it's their only holding and it's going up and down. So I think one we have to remember that it is not the total piece of somebody's portfolio, but I would view it as a satellite piece that has some legs to it, meaning that you can make money in Bitcoin. It's a good alternative to gold, currency, etc. Um, but it is certainly not the same as having a checking account, number one. But why are not most advisors recommending it? Well, one, it lacks a significant amount of government regulation. And when it comes to being an investment advisor, the lack of government regulation makes it a very gray area for us, meaning that We can't recommend that you go and start investing in things that don't have any sort of. It would be like a doctor recommending non FDA approved drugs to you. It's very, if not frowned upon, it can get you in a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, I would say that uh, Bitcoin is the non FDA regulated drug in our world. Um, On top of that, um, you have, because of that, you have a huge amount of liability risk. So you're not going to see financial advisors recommending something that's unregulated because it could come back to bite them pretty hard. What I think will ultimately end up happening, though, Diane, is I don't think cryptocurrency is going anywhere. And I think you'll end up seeing funds. I know that there's some that are already started. I haven't researched them a lot, but you will see funds that invest almost like ETFs in baskets of the most popular cryptocurrencies that will end up being regulated.
1: I was just going to ask that if there's some sort of mutual fund that encompasses all of them or
2: There are. They're starting. I wouldn't say that they have enough track record yet to gain significant traction in my space, but I can see that they're on the horizon. So I think you'll see it become more and more a part of investment advisory business down the line. But I do not envision that it'll be as significant as a part as saying, you know, buying Coca-Cola or Home Depot, it'll be a, a satellite piece like investing in you know we want to have some exposure to gold, silver, you know uh, platinum cryptocurrency, et cetera it'll be viewed more like that now that's my forecast. I could be completely wrong, but I think that's the way you'll see it start to become a piece of of people's
1: portfolios and because of the volatility, is it like the stock market with the volatility or does it not what What makes it move
2: well theoretically, what makes it move is purely supply and demand. if there's a finite amount of supply it's all driven by demand so as I would suggest that as it becomes a more easily convertible use of buying things, meaning when you can just go on Amazon and use your you know fractional pieces of Bitcoin to buy stuff, you'll probably start to see the volatility level out. But then it becomes which comes first, the chicken or the egg. If you're Amazon, you're not going to let people pay with Bitcoin. If you say, well, I'm selling this item at a 10% profit margin— they pay me in Bitcoin, and tomorrow, Bitcoin's worth 30% less. Well, now I sold it at a 20% loss. Mm-hmm. That's not going to work for my business model. So um, I think we have some some room to to go before it becomes a stable currency. But then once it becomes super stable, is everybody going to really like it the way that they do now? Because people like it because they have this potential to make a tremendous amount of money. So I think there's, there's a ways to go, but I don't think it's going anywhere. I think crypto is here to stay. I think blockchain technology is, is going to change everything in the long run. So, you know, stay tuned. I think there's going to be more to be spoken about in crypto in general over the years. So I'm not anti-crypto. It's just difficult in our position sometimes to recommend crypto at this stage.
1: Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614 364 7300. And you can join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 6 p.m. on 989 The Answer. You can always find that recording at aptuswealth.com. More with Josh Pick when we come back. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show.
0: We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 989 The Answer.
3: 7300 or visit aptiswealth.com thanks for
0: listening to the aptis retirement blueprint radio show with josh pick to schedule your complimentary customized planning session give josh a call at 614-364-7300 that's 614-364-7300
1: welcome back to the aptis retirement blueprint show with josh pick josh our long-term care costs one of those things that are often overblown and sensationalized in the media?
2: Uh, yes and no. There's there's no question that long-term care costs are incredibly expensive. I mean, I'm sure we've all heard the numbers. You know, seven thousand, eight thousand, nine thousand dollars a month for a long-term care facility. Um, and then oftentimes, you know, it's it, it, the old adage of of selling products is you know create the, the 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 divide as big as possible so that you're the bridge to cross the divide. Right? We've all heard it. So the bigger the problem, we can make it. The the more um, motivation we can cause the client to try and use whatever product we're trying to sell them. Now, that said, uh, long-term care can be a big problem. It can be incredibly expensive. The problem is the solutions can oftentimes be just as big a problem as the problem itself. And let me explain what I mean by that. On average, about half of us are going to need some sort of help via long-term care at some point in our lives. So there's a myriad of statistics out there. You know, you'll hear ones like 25% of people are going to be in for a long period of time, 25% aren't going to go in at all, and then the middle are going to go in for a short period of time. At the end of the day, let me give you the the real kind of lay of the land. On average, about half of us are going to need some sort of long-term care help at some point. Now, the good news, Diane, is that stay for us on average is only going to be about 18 months. Meaning, if you look at that bell curve, you know, the the median, most of us, are going to land, idea, or at least theoretically, at 18 months. But that's not the case. It's an inverted bell curve. And for those of you who aren't math nerds like me, what that means is a large percentage of people are going to stay a lot less than 18 months. We probably know the examples of, you know, a fall, an injury, went to a long-term care facility for a short period of time and unfortunately passed. But the other percentage, a small percentage, thankfully, at that, stays for a really long period of time. And that's what we're often sold based upon is, what if you're in a facility for 10, 12, 15 years with dementia, Alzheimer's, et cetera? And that's what we're trying to defend against. Now, fortunately, there are some ways that we can combat that if that were, in fact, the case. All of them are uh, hugely benefited by the amount of nimbleness that we can create tax-wise in our portfolio. Meaning that through trust work, we can help protect a lot of the money that we have if we can't afford a giant long-term care policy, which most people unfortunately cannot. That does not mean that long-term care uh, insurance is not a good a good investment for many people. But for many people, it's just simply not feasible. So for those that it's not feasible to obtain, how do we structure our portfolio so that in the event that we are one of those ladder folks where we're in a facility for a really long period of time, How do we preserve as much of our money to give to our families, to our surviving spouse, et cetera? And the answer is through trust work as of today. But the problem with trust work is you have to get the money into the trust. And most people have the bulk of their money in IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, qualified plans. That money has been pre-tax. It doesn't have taxes paid on it yet. And the only way that we can move it then is to pay the taxes, And I have yet to find too many people that want to pay the lump sum of taxes on all of their money today to move it into a trust to make sure that in the event that there's a small probability that they need to go into a long-term care facility for a really long period of time, that they're protecting their assets. So how do we set ourselves up, Diane, to make sure that we're ready for that in the event that it happens? That's through things like Roth conversions, properly structured income plans, trying to get as much money over time into a scenario that if that ever happens... We can start doing trust work. Now, obviously, the ideal scenario, Diane, is we have plenty of money. We buy a long-term care policy to cover the gap, and we're fine. But again, I want to talk to the people that aren't quite in that scenario, because long-term care insurance can be, unfortunately, really, really expensive or sometimes not even an option due to health history. So the, the takeaway is, I think, is it overblown? Probably. Does that mean that it's not a problem? absolutely not it 's a significant problem that we need to address what 's the best way to address it? Well, spoiler alert, I say this all the time. proper planning if we 're prepared for the eventuality that that could occur, then we 're better suited to handle it when it comes. If we get caught not seeing that potential you know monster around the corner, then it can be a very costly error. So uh, you know make sure that you 're working with somebody, hopefully our office that structures that into their planning and doesn't ignore it. So we're ready when the time comes.
1: Because I think most people, you know, what's are completely shocked at the cost of long-term care. So I think, you know, emphasizing that can't be overblown enough.
2: Oh, it can be completely overwhelming. I mean, in certain states, it's not uncommon for it to be $10,000 a month. You know, think of New York, California, et cetera. The, The cost can be overwhelming, but even... If you're in a state like like Ohio, um, you know, it's not uncommon for it to be seven to nine thousand dollars a month. And if you want to stay at home, that number can go up, which very rarely do you meet anybody who says I'd rather go to a long term care facility than stay at home and have professional nursing care help while I'm at home. So the the key is trying to set up as many options and possibilities for you as we potentially can. Uh, But the only way we can do that is by planning, predicting, forecasting today, because if we just wait until it rears its ugly head, we're just going to have to deal with the cards that we have at that point.
1: What age do you think people should start thinking about purchasing long-term care insurance?
2: Well, with all insurance, you always want to start planning before you need it, because the problem with insurance is once you need it, you can't get it, right? So I would say once you start getting into your late 50s, into your 60s, is time to start looking at it very, very seriously, but if your company or you have a predilection that, you know, hey, Alzheimer's runs in my family, my mom had Alzheimer's, my dad had Alzheimer's, my uncle had Alzheimer's, um, one, sorry to hear that, but two, you know, we probably want to start planning sooner rather than later. The flip side of that, and this is just a conversation you need to have with yourself, um, one of the surveys that I read was they did a survey on how people viewed their health when they retired. Do you think you're in good or poor health? Do you think you're in, or you're in poor, or you know you're an unhealthy person? Are you in pretty good health, to good health, or are you incredibly healthy? And then, based upon that research, they followed all those people and said, "How did it turn out for them?" And they were pretty right. The people who said they were really unhealthy needed more long-term care help than the people that said they were really healthy. Um, there's also some demographic issues, which I know this is very faux pas to talk about right now, but the study also addressed. That minorities are more likely to need long-term care help than white caucasian the level of income and education that you've received lessens your need for long-term care in the long run now why these are the f- the case i i don't even begin to try and hypothesize that but my point here is look at your scenario your family history etc and then maybe use that as a good indicator of how you should start planning for your long-term care needs. If everybody in your family dies at 72 of a heart attack, chances are long-term care isn't gonna be nearly as likely for you as the previous example that I gave of, you know, let's say you're a minority that doesn't have higher education and everybody in your family ends up with dementia or Alzheimer's. Well, you have to kind of have that heart-to-heart with yourself and say, I probably need to address this sooner rather than later, but everybody should at least address it to some capacity.
1: You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session to learn new strategies to manage risk, or if you have questions about anything Josh has talked about, his number is 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300. Josh, we've talked long-term care, taking care of yourself. How about taking care of others when it comes to estate planning? From wills to living trusts and probate, what are the key concepts to know when thinking about, about leaving a legacy?
2: I think the goal of of legacy planning if we want to kind of label everything legacy planning is making it as easy as possible for your wishes to be executed when you're gone meaning you don't want to have uh, your beneficiaries working really hard and and having to to go through the minutia of trying to figure out how to get the money that you left them or or having to spend hours and hours at the courthouse trying to go through probate and paying a bunch of money to attorneys to you just don't want that scenario. Or if you want to direct how money is received when you're gone, meaning you have you know, a child that needs cared for that maybe isn't the best with money and you want to leave money in a certain way to them, and then this other child, you want to leave it to them lump sum. Really, legacy planning is making sure that all of those directives are handled before you're gone. And that's pretty easy, actually. Um, one is, on all of your retirement accounts or anything you do with us, uh, we're going to set up beneficiaries. That automatically is going to bypass probate. So you're not going to have any of those legal or attorney costs on anything that you do with my office, unless you want it to work that way, which is would be a rarity. I don't see that very often. But the other is, what about houses, cars, um, your stuff, your checking accounts at the bank, etc. How do we handle those? That's part of our planning process as well. We're going to walk you through how those things can be handled and obviously incorporate attorneys when necessary, which we have a lot of relationships with very capable and good attorneys in town that we've had you know, decade-long relationships with. So we'll direct you to the right place when necessary. But oftentimes I find that people are spending a lot of money on stuff they don't, quite frankly, need. Um, so, does a trust make sense for you? Is it something you need? Everybody needs a will, durable power of attorney, medical power of attorney. All those things we will direct you ways to get those. But what we're going to do is walk you through the process of, okay, now let's pretend you're gone. How does all this flow? And it's not as complicated as oftentimes. It's conveyed to people, but it's something that we need to talk about sooner rather than later. So I don't want to confuse this type of planning because I, I use the word trust now, but I used to use the word trust when we are coming into long-term care planning there are a bunch of different types of trusts. So there's revocable trusts and irrevocable trusts and there's legacy planning trusts and there's uh, there, there's all these different types of trusts. So oftentimes people will come in and say, I-, I know I need a trust. That is a broad brushstroke. So what we'll do is either guide you to an attorney or at least give you some, kind of some preliminary understanding of what they are. We're certainly not attorneys, but Where should you go and what trusts do what things? And then let's get you to the right attorney for what you're trying to accomplish. Because I I assure you that a trust to handle um, long-term care planning is significantly different than a trust that, uh, let's say, uh, will be enacted if, in fact, you die to provide for young children. So there's drastic differences between all these things. But I think the the advantage of working with a holistic financial planning process uh, process like ourselves is how do we incorporate the right tax people, the right attorneys? And do I speak the nomenclature, the language uh, of all those people to coordinate that effort and then in turn convey it to you in in an easily understandable format? And that's something that we do every day. So happy to help. Let's make sure we get the right team together. And make sure you get what you need and you don't overpay for things you don't need.
1: Let me give you Josh's number, the Aptus Wealth Management Office number, so you can schedule your own personalized planning session. We call it the Aptus Blueprint Process. And the phone number is 614-364-7300. Number again is 614-364-7300. Josh's website is aptuswealth.com. That's spelled A-P-T-U-S, the word wealth. And you can join Josh every Monday for Money Mondays with Bruce Hooley at 6 p.m. on 98.9 The Answer. Thanks for listening, and we'll have more of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick when we come back. We'll be back with more
0: at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer.
3: To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614 364 7300 or visit aptiswealth.com thanks for
0: listening to the aptis retirement blueprint radio show with josh pick to schedule your complimentary customized planning session give josh a call at 614-364-7300 that's 614-364-7300
1: Welcome back to the Aptis Retirement Blueprint show with Josh Pick. Josh, Mark Twain is quoted as saying, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. Along that line, and what are things you find that people often believe they know that they clearly don't once they've talked to you?
2: I think the, the biggest one that comes up literally all the time is taxes. Um, and and I, I, I don't fault people for that because darn if taxes aren't hard to figure out. And the resources to figure them out aren't plentiful. Um, it, you know, you, you go to your, your investment advisor and you say, I'd really like some advice on taxes and how it relates to my Social Security benefits or income that I'm receiving from an annuity. And your tax pro says, I, you know, I, I don't do invest. Or you go to your investments and they say, I don't do taxes. And then you go to your tax person, they say, I don't do investments. And then you're left trying to interpret the information. So then you Google it. And you wonder, well, is the, the resource that I'm getting this from actually a reliable resource? So, you know, the things that I hear all the time is, is my tax rate going to be higher when I retire than it is today? I don't know. Or are Social Security uh, benefits taxable? Or I'm going to get money from an annuity or a pension. Is that going to be taxable? And they just don't know the answer. Or they heard an answer from somebody at work, and they just assumed it was right even though, quite frankly, that person from work heard it from another person, and it was just a long game of telephone, and by the time it came to you, who the heck knows? And then the unfortunate reality is, regardless of whether or not that person was right, it might not be right for you. I'll give you an example. Social security, is it taxable? The correct answer is maybe, which isn't a very good answer, because it sounds like I'm dodging the question, but I'm not. Social security is a very weird animal, uh, in that you are taxed on it, based upon your outside income. Meaning, if you're living exclusively off of Social Security, you pay no federal income taxes on your Social Security benefit whatsoever. Zero. Nada. However, if you're collecting Social Security and you also have a pension that pays you $75,000 a year, then not only is your pension more than likely taxable unless you have the rare tax-free pension, but 85% of your Social Security is probably taxed as well because up to 85% of your social security can in fact be taxed based upon the level of your outside income. So that advice that you got from the person at the gym or uh, the person at the church, whoever you're talking to, that said, nope, only 10% of my social security is taxable, that might hold true for them, but that might not have any bearing on you whatsoever. So this misinformation ends up kind of getting out into the ether and filling people's heads, and then they run around and talk about it like it's the gospel. So while it might be correct, it's not necessarily correct for you. I think that's that Mark Twain quote, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, The other one that I often hear, and I'm going to blame my own industry for this, is you're going to need a percentage of your pre-retirement income in post-retirement. Meaning, well, I current for easy math, we'll use this. I I make $100,000 a year now, and I was watching CNBC, and they said I need 80%. Well, that means that... uh, I need eighty thousand dollars a year, and then they told me this thing called the four percent rule, which means I can't pull out more than four percent of my gross, uh, you know, investments. So I need to have two million dollars to retire, and that just ain't necessarily so. Meaning, um, if you're living on a hundred thousand, if you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're living on that equivalent. What if you're saving fifty thousand dollars a year? Well, that doesn't necessarily. You're you're clearly not living on eighty grand a year. Fifty grand's going directly to your savings, so that's a unique answer to everybody as well. So I think the takeaway here is people try to get a better understanding of what they're supposed to be doing in preparation for this uh, thing we call retirement, and they're trying to garner or glean information from various sources. And those various sources are typically, unfortunately, trying to sell you something. So they come up with these catchphrases. Um, You know, you need 80% or make sure you do a Roth conversion or, you know, make sure you do planning so that X, Y, Z happens. And at the end of the day, unfortunately, it's just catchphrases that apply to a certain percentage of the population that may have no impact on you. But circling back around, the biggest error that I see in retirement income planning is the lack of planning for taxes. Taxes are a very, very important piece of the puzzle. We've heard it a million times. It's not what you make, it's what you keep. So the goal is not just how do I derive the correct amount of income that I need, but how do I do that in the most tax-efficient way? And that is the biggest gap in people's knowledge base for retirement
1: planning. Besides the weekend, you can hear Josh with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 6 p.m. for Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint show with Josh Pick. Josh, let's talk about 401k. So let's say you're making a career change. Do you leave your 401k with the company you formerly were at? What are what are some choices people have? This is
2: this is a, a, a big conversation right now, and I believe that um, the fiduciary standards are going to jump up quite significantly on this because the belief of most financial institutions in the past was always roll it over to an IRA. And uh, obviously the reason behind that is, uh, you know, if your money's with a 401k company, how can an investment advisor or a financial planner or a commission-based salesperson uh, make any money off of the money that you have if it's sitting in your 401k? So we need to roll it to a self-directed IRA so we can put it in our commission-based funds. It doesn't apply to me, of course, because you know I'm a fiduciary and I get paid for advice rather than commissions, but um, you need to do a net-to-net analysis of what your objectives are, what your choices are inside of your 401k, and does it make sense? Because your choices are this. For most people, it's different per plan, of course, but for most people, you can leave your money in your old 401k. Some companies require that you take it out in a certain period of time, but for the most part, you can leave it in your 401k or you can roll it to your new 401k more than likely, or you can roll it to an IRA. Now, by the, using the terminology roll, if you don't know what that means, rolling or transferring means that you continue to defer the tax liability. So the, everything that I'm talking about is a non-taxable event. It just continues to grow tax deferred until you end up needing the money in retirement. But that's part of the discussion. There's other parts of the discussion the investments that I have available inside of my 401k, are there things about them that I can't get anywhere else that I like? Or conversely, the 401k that I had, was it not really what I was looking for in relation to my goals and objectives? For example, let's say I was with a company that had a 401k that only had a few options in it. And all of those options, for the most part, were pretty aggressive. And I was a year or two years out from retirement I didn't like what I was seeing in the economy. I was nervous about retirement, and I wanted to pull back the reins a little bit on my risk. I would like to invest in something very conservative. It would make me feel better, and I've already done the math and know that I don't have to have a lot of market exposure to reach my objectives, but it's not available where I am. Well then, obviously, having the ability to roll it to an IRA is hugely advantageous for you. Or I would really like to work with a fiduciary, get some advice, and have them manage my account because I feel more comfortable and more confident about my retirement with some professional doing it rather than me hodgepodge picking my options that are available inside of my 401k. All of these would be great reasons to roll to an IRA. The other reason that kind of gets overlooked that kind of circles us back to the tax conversation is if you have this hodgepodge of 401ks everywhere, and it is not the days of old where people work for companies for 40, 50 years and then retire. Many people have had, you know, a dozen jobs by the time they retire, sometimes more. If you have all of your money inside of an IRA at some point in the future, at age 72, I know that seems like a long way off for some, but at 72, you have to start taking minimum required distributions. If you do not take your correct minimum required distribution, it is a 50% penalty at the IRS level. Now, a little-known fact is that while if you have 30 IRAs, you can aggregate all those IRAs together, meaning as long as you, let's say I had to take 40000 out because I had a million dollars roughly, I can take 40000 from one of my IRAs and it counts for the whole. But if I have 12 different 401ks, I cannot take that 40 out of one of my 401ks. I have to take the 4% out of each one proportionally. So oftentimes, unfortunately, Diane, and this has nothing to do with the investments that are inside of those 401ks, people will forget. They'll just forget that they had all these IRA, all these 401ks everywhere. They're 74 years old, and they forget to take one of their minimum required distributions. And that is a 50% penalty. That's a, that's a lesson you really don't want to learn. So I think that the, the takeaway on what you should consider before you go is make sure you do a net-to-net comparison over your objectives and your options and also perhaps just the simplicity of having your money in a common spot so you have an easier time of tracking it. God forbid something happens to you. Your beneficiaries have an easier time finding the money. Cause one thing I certainly don't want to have happen is I work my entire life, save as much money as I possibly can, forego current, you know, uh buying shiny things for future growth and future benefit. And then I have an abrupt end of my life unexpectedly, and that money just sits out in the ether and nobody gets it because nobody knew where it was. So there's a lot of reasons why you might want to move it, but don't do it for an illogical one. Make sure you do an uh, analytical research project on whether or not it makes sense. Obviously, that's where professionals come in, and my office is happy to help.
1: I don't know why the IRS doesn't take a lesson from these car warranty companies or the student loan people and just, you know— continually remind people
2: that they Uh, annoy the heck out of us exactly
1: exactly it just feels like they're trying to cheat us
2: unfortunately um on top of that if you've ever had to deal with the irs it's a difficult uh thing their answer times are very difficult covid certainly hasn't sped that up so it's much easier to just stay in the good graces of the irs than try and fix problems down the line let's leave it at that
1: maybe don't criticize them on the radio that might be a good tip as well. Uh,
2: I'm certainly not criticizing them. They have a difficult job, and it's my responsibility to uh, make sure that our government stays on track in the most efficient way possible by sending them the least amount of money that I am legally allowed to.
1: Me, on the other hand, I have been open about my criticism. All right. To schedule an appointment (laughs) to go through the Aptis blueprint process, the Aptis office number is 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. You can join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 6 p.m. on 98.9 The Answer for Money Mondays. The recording, in case you miss it, uh, is at AptisWealth.com. We'll have more with Josh Pick when we come back. You are listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show.
0: Don't forget, you can hear Josh with Bruce Hooley for Money Mondays, every Monday evening at 6 on 98.9 The Answer. We'll be back with more of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint
3: Show in a moment. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com.
0: Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint radio show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300.
1: Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint show with Josh Pick. Josh, what are ways that you see people fooling themselves into believing they're making wise financial decisions when they are in reality making mistakes.
2: Well, sometimes I think uh, I heard a metaphor once that the rooster crows and the sun rises and the rooster thinks that maybe it made the sunrise. And that's not necessarily the case. And I think, you know, as the market continues to charge like it has been, sometimes we're lulled into a belief that we are the best investors in the history of the world. And, you know, we don't need professionals. We don't need to do a financial plan because everything we touch turns to gold. Well, that brings me back to, uh, and I've used this example throughout my entire career. There was a fund called the Fidelity Magellan Fund. It still exists, but at one point it was run by a guy named Peter Lynch. Peter Lynch was really a maverick of his time. He, he, generated tremendous returns inside of the Fidelity Magellan Fund. I believe over a 20-year period, he averaged north of 12% average annual. And they did a research study to see, great, so it's averaged 12% per year. How, what has the average investor done inside of that same fund? And contrary to what you might think, the average investor earned less than 4%. It was 3-point-something percent. And then they dug deeper and said, well, how the heck is that possible? If the fund returned 12 how are they earning three or four? Fees aren't that high. What, what's the what's the issue? And the issue was, we need to admit that our, wheezer, our knees are weaker than we think they are. When the market was going down, people would get out, and then when the market was going up, they'd get back in. And obviously, you can't time things perfectly. And what ultimately ended up happening was most people were buying towards the top and selling towards the bottom and really just generating much lower returns. Ironically, Diane, during that same time period, they would have been far better off earning almost twice as much if they just would have bought one-year CDs every year for the entire time period. And they would have had no losses ever and not had to play the game or ride the roller coaster at all. So I think, you know, we have to fight this kind of over-optimism that we're doing right now. And, you know, we also need to be realistic in that the marketing for financial products, you know, it's really pulling at our at our ego strings, if you want to say that. I mean, when you talk about things like fixed and guaranteed, we say it's simple or boring and stodgy or, you know, it's an insurance product or it's the bond market. Fixed income doesn't sound nearly as exciting as this is the advanced equity play or this is the way the pros do it or, you know, if you're a power player, you go with this direction you know, this is an actively managed tactical portfolio. I mean, I want to be involved in a tactical portfolio much more than I want to be involved in a fixed income ladder. That doesn't sound very exciting. So we fall, you know, victim to that, just like we do all other areas of marketing. But we cannot lose sight of the fact that this is a short time period, not a long one. And for most of us, uh, whether you're nearing retirement or you're way out from retirement, you still have a really long time horizon for your money to either last or grow. And the only way that you can predictably do that is through uh, logical decision-making and not emotional decision-making. And I, I know we've talked about this a lot today, but it's something that I think we really, really, really need to focus on because I'm quite frankly uh, very concerned about what the other end of this looks like. And there will be another end, diane it's not going to go up forever it will go up forever but there will be a there will be a blip and in that blip my cause for concern is yeah we've gotten a lot of great returns but when it pulls back if it pulls back really hard will people be able to weather that storm or will they essentially erode the lion share of their returns pull out never get back in which is large in part what happened to a lot of people in 2009 happened to a lot of people in 0102 so be very cautious about use day trading, use time-tested strategies. Secondly, any time there is very good times in the market, there will be a lot of storytellers. And I would say avoid these storytellers. And what, is, what I mean by a storyteller is, let me tell you about these advanced techniques that only rich people and the pros use, and how unique this is. And usually they will reference, this is a very unknown line in the tax code that is only left to a very small percentage of people, or this strategy was what hedge funds used that was unavailable to the average investor until today. Um, Avoid those storytellers. They're selling you a flash in the pan. They're selling you emotion. That does not mean that none of them are true. But what it does mean is you have to tread very lightly. Uh, Call our office. I'll help you sift through that. If it's a good idea, by all means, I'll recommend you go do it. But what I don't want to have happen is you invest in one of the uh, millions, uh, maybe not millions, but one of the many, many um, terrible investment strategies that end up being illiquid or, God forbid, a Ponzi scheme uh, with your hard-earned dollars. So let's let's stick to what we know works over the long run, improve it, hone it as best we can, limit tax exposure, and make sure your income lasts for the rest of your life.
1: To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk – Call Josh at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Uh, this is one of my favorite topics that we're going to talk about. Uh, differences in major ways retirement can be financially different between men and women. And also, we'd like to talk about when you're when you're couples planning for a retirement. A lot of people don't have that conversation um, or have an idea of what their partner is even thinking when it comes to retirement. They can be on two very different pages.
2: Yeah, well, obviously, you know, as a man, uh, I always have to tread lightly on talking about this yeah. topic. But, it, I'm but there are some you facts. going to
1: watch a tap dance. No, I'm
2: kidding. Uh, I'm sure. And I'm on that minefield tap dancing away. But I think there are some facts that we just have to address. And that is, you know, women, quite frankly, lag behind men in savings for retirement. And COVID has made it worse. Uh, on average, I saw a study that in 2019, I think it was the Bank of America uh, or maybe it was Merrill Lynch, but they did a uh, a report that said that women have 70,000 less than men when they reach retirement.
1: But now, does that come
2: up with? Does that have to do with? Go ahead.
1: The wage difference. Uh,
2: I mean, that's what we could really debate over, and I'm certainly not an expert in that field. It could be a wage difference. It could be, you know, a whole myriad of things. Uh, I don't know the right answer, but what I do know is that it's a fact. What I do know is that in general, when I meet with couples, men and women do have some generalities, and I have to tread very lightly, of a difference of opinion in the way that they view money. Um, And you need to kind of understand what those are, but you also need to figure out a way to find common ground. You asked very specifically about how do you deal with couples and kind of get them on the same page. And I think, you know, a part of my job is to find that common ground and get people on the same page. Because if we're not unified in the front of retirement, it can cause some very significant and potentially irreparable damages down the line. I mean, if, you're, if your budget is $50,000 a year, and we've made your plan designed around $50,000 a year for the rest of your life, and somebody goes off the rails and spends $100,000 a year, that can be an irreparable problem. So we need to make sure we're on the same page and that we're both disciplined and we're both uh, on the same front as far as the plan goes. Conversely, though, uh, oftentimes we'll see people who, you know, there's a miser in the family. You know, you can tell them they can spend $50,000 a year, and they're going to figure out a way to get, you know, as much out of 20000 a year as they possibly can because there's no possible way that they want to spend money. So the the planning process inherently will help justify the spender to a certain level of income, and will also put at ease, at least hopefully, the if we want to call them the miser, that it's okay to spend the money. Because opinions are typically, you know, if I look at two people on pendulum opposites, one thinks there's no possible way they'll ever run out of money, so why are we even concerned about this? And the other one says, we're definitely gonna run out of money. We need to be clamping down as tight as we possibly can. And the part of the, the, the planning process in meeting with me is trying to convince both of those people that there is a plan in the middle, and we need to stick to it. And as long as we do, we'll be fine. And oftentimes I've found, Diane, with couples, uh, You know, we all know uh, divorce, one of the biggest reasons for divorce is money. And that's because it's sometimes a very difficult topic to talk about, even though on every other front we're very unified, when it comes to money, we just can't seem to find some common ground. I've been doing this a long time, I've had a lot of conversations. Um, I can almost always find some common ground and come up with a logical answer because the numbers just simply don't lie. So I think while I know you're very big into, um, you know, women, you have your own podcast on, you know, what's it called? You Go Girl or something like that, which what, what <laughs> you guys talk about.
1: <laughs> it's called <laughs> Own It Girl, talk? and I take it you're not own subscribed it to it. It's Own It Girl, that uh, real estate show for women. But the
2: uh, <laughs> real estate show, yeah. I mean, I think there's some huge differences that we need to, we need to address, and- They can be improved upon, but my job is to try and unify it.
1: I think, too, that both partners have to take an interest in that. You can't just rely on the other partner to cover the weight of it. I think it's really important for uh, husbands or wives to both uh, be educated about it. Don't just say, oh, it's too complicated, or I'll just let you handle it.
2: Yeah, we can't put our heads in the sand. You know, the most powerful thing in the world is education. And I think that we all need to be educated, but you're right. There are certain people that just say, I don't want to be educated. And, and I try and convey to them, Diane, how terrifying that should be to them. If you don't know whether you're going to, what would make you succeed or fail, then you're, you're kind of bebopping through life, just keeping your fingers crossed, um, which is a risky proposition to be in. You certainly don't want to reach the age of 82 and realize that you went broke and you have no idea why. When the market goes up or down, While you might not understand why, I want you to understand how it affects you. You know, oftentimes people ask me, well, you don't know why the market goes up or down. And oftentimes it's very emotional and it's almost impossible to determine why it goes up and down in the short run. But in the long run, we can develop plans that are very logical and you will have the confidence to know that it'll stand the test of time. And regardless of what happens today or tomorrow, it's more about long-term trends. And that's through the education process. Again, let's get everybody unified, make sure they understand why we're doing what we're doing. And then, you know, as a side note, I would love to see that gap close between men and women just in in general.
1: Yeah. Because what if something happens to one spouse and then the other spouse who's just been relying on the other to handle it all is faced with this huge thing much before the age of 82. We know that things can happen. And it's it's really incredibly important for women to be as educated as possible about where their money is going in the relationship.
2: Well, I've seen that firsthand. You know, my father passed away when I was rather young and my father was the... um, You know, really handled all the finances. And then my mother, who had never done it before, was left to kind of pick up that burden and try and figure it out. And I'm sure if you asked her today, would you have been better prepared if you didn't kind of stick your head in the sand while my father was alive? She would say yes, and I wish I really would have done that. And as I was building my son a tree house hanging off a ladder 12 feet in the air this weekend, I think there's a very good reason why men uh, often leave their wives <laughs> to deal with financial situations, because we make some really bad choices. So I think it's important to have them all unified and have everybody on the same page and understand what direction they're headed.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much, Josh. Uh, besides the weekend, everyone, you can hear Josh with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 6 p.m. They call it Money Mondays, and you can hear it at 98.9 The Answer. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. You can catch us every weekend here at the same time. And you can give Josh a call if you have any questions or you would like to schedule an appointment. Have Josh review your current plan. The number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Thanks for spending time with us today. Have a great weekend.
0: You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Or online at AptusWealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company.